0: About 42, 3, 4 years ago, I was pastoring in Modesto, and uh, my secretary Joanne said to me one day, she said, have you ever noticed that there's always seems like when you travel, there's like this black cloud hanging over you. Well, some of you know I've spent the last two weeks in Africa. Well, I was supposed to spend the last two weeks in Africa, and you'll understand why I say that in in just a moment. Um, But many of you, most of you knew that I was off to the Central African Republic uh, with Jim Hawking, the founder of Water for Good. His brother Tom pastors our church in Bellflower. Tom went along with me. Uh, My friend Richard Todd, who's pastored our church in Whittier for a number of years, Uh, he went along, and then another guy named Bob. Uh, from Tom's church, and we just had an awesome, awesome time. But one of the things that that I learned is you got to be careful what you preach about. Some of you remember when we started our series in James, the very first message. If you remember, count it all joy when you encounter various trials. And many people were reporting in the next two or three weeks about the trials that they were facing and experiencing. So God has kind of a way of of putting that all together and making that work. But if you remember, and I doubt that you do, but three weeks ago, uh, I preached the message from James 5 before I left for Africa. And the the passage begins, come now, you who say we're going to go to such and such a city and conduct business and gain a profit. Instead, you should say, together now, if the Lord wills. And I have experienced the truth of that statement over the last two weeks in Africa. And I want to share a little bit of of my story with you. Um, Get my slide up here somewhere. We're going to talk about that title in a minute. But the four of us... uh, Met at LAX, and uh, we're ready to travel and take off. And uh, we took off and uh, traveled to Paris. Wouldn't it be wonderful to spend several days in Paris? Well, that wasn't my plan. Uh, my plan was to spend less than 24 hours there and uh, then catch a plane to Africa. And so we went out Friday night and uh, toured the city. Uh, the four of us walked 12 miles. Miles Friday evening walking around the city. We locked, walked along the Seine, the Seine River. Um, they pronounce it the Sin River, which means if you fall in, then you're. Yeah. Um, but anyway, um, we went to the, the, the Notre Dame Cathedral. We went to the Eiffel Tower. We just had a wonderful evening together, fellowship, walking around. And then uh, we were riding the subway train and it transitioning between two of the trains. Um, a guy got my pocket and got my wallet and my passport. So I lost my driver's license, my one credit card I took, uh, my passport, uh, the ca- all the cash I was carrying, all gone. So my, my my journey experiencing what the Lord wills was very real and meaningful to me. And uh, people commented along the way, you sure have a good attitude about all this. It's like, well... If the Lord wills, we're we're in his will, right? And so uh, without that passport, I had a little bit of a challenge. I couldn't get out of Paris. They wouldn't let me go on a plane. They had scanned my face and my passport when I arrived in Paris, so they had all that in their database. Um, I went to two police stations to file a police report. They told me if I did that, they would let me on the plane. And so we had to walk all the way to the far end of the airport that way to the police station they sent me to. Uh, We only do immigration, sir. You have to go to the police station (laughs) over that way. And uh, anyway, all of that showed up in the morning to catch the plane, got my police report, got photocopy of my passport. Not good enough. So I wasn't going to Africa until I got a new passport. Well, it's Saturday morning in beautiful downtown France, and the embassy U.S. Embassy doesn't open until Monday. And so now I'm stuck in Paris. Uh, one of our team members, Becky, uh, grew up in Mali, Africa, as a missionary kid and speaks French. And so she stayed with me to kind of get me through all the, the hurdles in, in Paris. And uh, it, it was uh, an adventure in so many ways. So Monday morning... We went to the embassy, and uh, my friends were all in Africa. <laughs> and so we went to the embassy, got the passport, and uh, that took about three and a half hours, not a big deal. And I'm still in Paris, and it's Monday, and my plane doesn't leave until Tuesday. So where do you want to go, Roy? And I said, well, isn't the Arc de Triumph here? Isn't that where the... Uh, the uh, Tour de France finishes every year, laps around the Arc de Triomphe. So I went to the Arc de Triomphe, and some of you saw my Facebook page with all those pictures, and I thought I had one here, but obviously I don't. And so 4.30 Tuesday morning, I'm the first one in line with Becky. Nobody's at the airport but us and the homeless. I think half the homeless in Paris live at the airport. And uh, we're ready to go, and uh, they finally accepted my new emergency passport, and uh, I was off to Africa, sort of. And uh, so we took off for beautiful downtown Bangui, Africa, Central African Republic. And uh, as we entered the airspace over Africa, announcement came on the airplane: "There's an electrical problem at the Bangui airport in Central African Republic. Uh, we're rerouting you to Yaoundé, Cameroon." So now I've already lost three days, and now I'm going to lose another day in Yaoundé, Cameroon. And so. I was on the ground in the uh, Yande airport and I thought, you know, my son has been here. When he was with with SEAL Team 8, they traveled twice to Cameroon to train the military. So my son knows all about Yande. And so I I was texting with him, telling him what happened. And my son texted back to me these words, Dad, T-I-A, this is Africa, roll with it. And I thought, where did that come from? That came from his two trips to Cameroon. You just got to roll with what happens. And so that was the, the Yande trip. But God's still in control, right? It's still true if the Lord wills. So I'm in Cameroon instead of in Bangui, Central Africa. And I was in the very center of God's will. Why was I there? Why was I not in Bungie? Why was I not where I had planned to be? Because it was God's will for me to be where I was. One of my longtime friends, I've known Norma for since junior high, and she saw my Facebook post and she says, you must be just asking yourself over and ag- again, Lord, why is this happening to me? And I told her, no, actually that question hasn't occurred to me yet. The question I'm asking is, Lord, what is it you want me to do in where, I'm, where you want me? What, you know, what is it? What, 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 what are you after? I have no idea why God allowed me to spend three days in Paris. Why God allowed me to lose another day with the team in Yonde. And, oh, my teammates got to fly to avoid two days of travel. On the ground, and so when I finally got to Bangui, I now have two days of travel to catch up to them. And so by the time I met them in uh, in Africa, here I am at the Water for Good uh, headquarters in Bangui, Africa, and uh, got my picture taken. If you have really good eyesight, you'll see a woman walking toward me along the side of the wall to my what is that my left. Do you notice anything unusual about that woman? What's on her head? A water pot. And I just found it so ironic. Becky took my picture, and when I looked at it, I go, you got to be kidding me. There's a woman walking by me with a bucket of water on her head. So I arrived in Africa, Bangui, and uh, got to tour that facility. Uh, Jim Hocking has been a friend of mine since uh early 70s. Uh, he was in my first youth group back in 71, 72 when he was a high school junior, senior. And so we've been friends for 50 years. And 18 years ago, he founded this ministry, Water for Good. And it was my privilege to go. And after hearing about it all these years, to be present and to see this ministry firsthand, uh, it was just. Uh, amazing amazing experience for me um probably the the highlight if I were to say the biggest highlight of my trip was we were traveling leaving Bongi headed to meet the team two days away and I saw a well on the side of the road and I said stop <laughs> and so I w- went over to the well put my hands on that pump and pumped water and it was just a very emotional experience for me I literally I cried um to be in Africa, to be pumping water at a well that, um, at least in my mind, I've been a part of for 18 years. Uh, we've been supporters of Jim and this ministry for ever since it began. Uh, and, of course, many of you, like me, have a history in the Grace Brethren Church that goes back decades. And so the, the, the whole experience of being in Africa and being in the cities whose names I've heard for 72 years... Uh, was just an, uh, an amazing, amazing experience. Sadly, my suitcase was still in Paris. And I had made a special trip the day before Becky and I left Paris. She and I went to the airport, checked in for our flight the following day confirmed with the gal that they had my suitcase attached to my new ticket and it would be on the plane and she's banging away on her keyboard. Everything's set up, everything's arranged, everything's great. And I got to Bangi, and no suitcase. So the planes only come into Bangui once or twice a week. And we had guys, each time the plane came in, went to the airport to check for my suitcase and each time it wasn't there and this morning in Africa was the the plane came in yesterday and one of the men we, I call him the fixer uh, Roger fixes everything and he went to the airport no suitcase so um, I'm still missing uh, everything that I'd packed, my bible uh, clothing I learned a valuable lesson, you never pack your meds in your suitcase. They're safe and sound in Paris somewhere. So I'm still waiting for my suitcase to come, but uh, here I am, that's the good news, right? So pumping water was an exciting thrill for me. Uh, Got to see firsthand, yeah Dave you made it, trying to back up here, is this going to back up for me Dave? I think it's going to back up, there we go. the latest thing that we're doing with Water for Good is these solar tanks and the, the hand pumps obviously require a lot of human effort. Usually young girls who are pumping water either with a foot pedal or with the hand pump like you saw there. And uh, now we're creating these solar towers with these tanks with a big bladder of water at the top and able to distribute water out of that one tank to up to 5,000 people. Whereas typically that hand pump might serve a couple hundred, 250 people. And so God's just doing some amazing things. Central African Republic is the second poorest country in the world. And their level of water poverty is just super incredibly high. Uh, The problem of disease from bad water. The problem of uh, girls not being able to go to school because they're the ones fetching the water. Um. Water for Good has addressed those in so many exciting ways. Um, yeah, anyway. This, so this here on the, the side is an example of a tap stand where there's two spigots of water that are fed to by the, by the water tank. And that was cool. So people line up for a long time with all their buckets to get, to get their water. Aren't you glad you could just go to the tap and... Yeah, well, they line up... Um, one day I, I was there and people were lined up. With you know, typically they'll bring a half a dozen buckets uh, for water, and it was getting to be about five five thirty, and people still in line. And when the sun goes down, guess what? Pump stops. So uh, anyway, that's part of the excitement. I finally made it and joined my team five days late, and uh, we had lunch in Berberati the uh, maintenance headquarters for all the the wells that uh, Water for Good is, is uh, maintaining. Um, one of our elders, who will remain unnamed, but everybody knows who it is, um, sent me this wonderful little meme. He loves to create memes, don't you, Dave? Um, and so you recognize the crew of the, the USS Enterprise, right? You know, Space Trek and all that fun stuff. And so Pat, Captain Picard says, I heard it took Roy a week to get to the CAR. And number one says, yes, Roy's passport was stolen in Paris. To which Captain Picard says, well, he should have flown Air Enterprise nonstop. So that, that kind of made my day. I appreciate that. Um, we had the opportunity to join a, a drill rig team in the process not of drilling for water. They were trying to clean out and blow out a well that was uh, clogged up and not delivering water. And uh, long story short, uh, they had an equipment failure. And it took two more days to fix the equipment failure, something that we could have fixed probably in just a couple hours here. Um, It's an amazing lesson in uh, patience being in Africa. Because as my son said, TIA, Dad, this is Africa. Roll with it. And so then we visited the uh, Radio Water for Good facility. Water for Good has a a radio facility that uh, covers the entire country. And they do uh, news, they do weather, they do health and hygiene uh, lessons, and they do Bible lessons every day. And so part of our mission in going to Africa was we took all the pieces and parts and components of of a brand new FM radio station. Uh, Jim's been running shortwave, which misses all the local communities right around the radio station. And so we arrived with all the parts and pieces in about eight big boxes of a new FM radio station that uh, Jim's been installing uh, the last few days that will cover that local area. Um, I just was excited to be there and to be a part of what they were doing. Um, There we go. So they installed a a new tower, had to pour some concrete, install a new tower for the antenna. And come on. There we go. There's one of the Central Africans uh, broadcasting on the, the radio station. One of the things that's always been exciting to me in Jim's philosophy of ministry with Water for Good is that every single person on the ground in Africa has black skin. Every single person that is involved in Caring for Water, the radio station, are all Central Africans. Uh, He has a few Cameroonians that I met that have become a part of the team there. But there's not a single white face (laughs) in all the ministry. He's totally entrusted that to the Central Africans. And uh, it's an amazing story. One of the things that I found fascinating in Africa was the kids in each of the villages that we visited just came out in droves. And on onto us. You see the, you can't well, you can't really see. Tom's in that picture on the far upper uh, left. He's got a black arm around his neck. Um, we, we just had a great time uh, sharing with children and being a part of what that was all about. And of course, you know, I have an interest in bicycles, right? So this is a roadside uh, stand uh, selling bicycles. And uh, not too many bicycles in Africa. You'll know why in just a moment. Um, and most of the bicycles that exist are there to provide transportation, people riding to get to work. Uh, they don't use bicycles as toys typically, even though they do. Um, met this young boy here with his bicycle, wanted to get my picture. Uh, an older gentleman with a trike that uh, has a hand pedal, and uh, he was riding his, his, uh, his trike. Um, it was fun to, to see that and, and experience all that. Come on, there we go. And these are the roads in Africa, which explains why bicycles. Um, we had drivers assigned to us the whole time I was there. And the reason we don't drive is because the roads are so bad, the traffic is so bad. I never saw, well, I won't say I saw maybe three stop signs in my time in Africa. Not a single traffic light, a few roundabouts, no white lines in the streets. It's total chaos. And then you've got to avoid all this kind of stuff. Um, Yeah, we had very, very talented drivers that I was thankful for. Life in Central Africa, this was fascinating to me. Life is lived on the side of roads. You drive through a village. You drive through a a more formal city. And everything is out on the side of the road. You need something to eat. You're looking to buy something. It's all on the side of the road. The people use their houses to sleep. Everything else happens outdoors. Cooking eating. Uh, and what what just impressed me was what a great sense of community that they had because they all live outdoors together. And every street we went down, there were little stalls where people were selling uh, peanuts or gasoline. Gasoline, by the way, in Central Africa sells for about $8 a gallon. And The majority of vehicles in Central Africa are little uh, motorcycles, little 125 motorcycles. And they sell gasoline at these little roadside stalls in water bottles. By the hundreds and thousands. Uh, Being in Africa was an eye-opening experience to appreciate what the the people share together um, in community and being together. And sometimes it goes on all night. If you try to sleep, you're in trouble. Um, One of the things that I found kind of fascinating was the chief's homes, the way you identify who the chief was in the villages was by the pole out in front of their house. And so you see, you can't see the pole in this picture over here. There's one there. Can you see the little skinny pole, a little bit of flag on top? Um, This one here is a big, thick pole. Sometimes those um, poles have flags on them. Sometimes they have little signs on them. But if you want to know where the chief lives, you'll look for the pole. And so uh, I was reminded that our chief has a pole. <laughs> and uh, so I don't know if we need a more colorful flag for that pole or, or what we want to do. But uh, being in Central Africa was uh, just an amazing, amazing experience. Um, some of the highlights I showed you pumping water. That was probably the most significant moment for me in the whole time I was there. Um, seeing what they're doing and building these new tank systems. I think I visited a half a dozen that are in process of being developed. Uh, I think we've built 20 so far this year and they're hoping to do 10 more uh, by the end of the year. And if each one of those tank systems is providing water for up to 5,000 people, that's a pretty amazing. Water for Good is maintaining uh, 2,000 wells throughout Central Africa. They have teams that travel and go through and uh, do preventative maintenance as well as solving problems when they break. Um, 2,000 wells, um, more to come. Almost a million people are drinking our clean water. Uh, 34,000 people this year have gained clean water that they didn't have a year ago. Uh, it's, it's just exciting to be a part of that um, I know many of you contribute To the ministry of Water for Good Thank you for doing that um, Andrew and I have supported the ministry for, From the very beginning and, and, and that's why this was so exciting Because I've seen pictures, right? You see pictures This doesn't even do justice To the experience of being there And seeing what God is doing um, God, God's at work Just in so many ways I met some amazing people um, in fact, one of, one of the guys I want to tell you about, um, Alfred <coughs> was one of our drivers. And Alfred came one day to Berberati with his family, brought his wife and his two young kids. Uh, each of his kids has the name Alfred in their name. It might be Alfred Yaw, Alfred something. And so his his four-year-old boy and his three-year-old daughter, two-and-a-half-year-old daughter, um, all have the... the Named wasn't there a guy named George Foreman that did that you know I, I just thought that was really interesting his wife's pregnant they're waiting for number three and they already have Alfred Jean and so uh, but Alfred in this this day that we were gathering together and talking and meeting his family he said to my friend Bob here on the far side he said to Bob would you take my son to America which I thought was kind of weird And he wanted Bob to take his son to our country. He said, would you take my son to America and see that he's educated and trained and has a career? And I just thought, you know, I bet there's a lot of people in Central Africa that wish they could send their kids to America, that get an education, to get training, be able to make money, provide for their family. The social security system in Central Africa is your children. And so the more children you have, the more, the more income you have, the more secure you are. And so it's not unusual for many of these families to, to have six, eight, ten kids. And I, I just thought, you know, there's there no way on the top side of God's green earth I would ever I would ever have considered telling someone, you know, take, take my four-year-old boy and educate him. You know, I, that was just staggering to me. But he loves his country. He loves his family. He loves his son. He wants the best for him. And in his mind, having his son return to Central Africa with an education and a career would just be phenomenal. Um, Probably there's not a single one of us here that would ever consider doing something like that, um, yeah. So I met some wonderful, wonderful people serving the Lord. Um, I was able to visit some key places that I've heard about all my life. Um, some of you are familiar with the medical ministry in Africa called Three Strands. Um, Sandy's cousin, Mike Taylor, is a key part of that. I don't know if he's the founder, but he was one of the key, been the key players. Uh, I was able to visit their facility. What an amazing ministry God has entrusted to them in medical care. Uh, Whether providing care for people, for sharing the gospel with patients as they come, it, it, it is just amazing. I was able to visit the high school that our missionaries established decades ago in Central Africa in the city of the Aluki. Um, They, the, the high school, the hospital, um, it was just an amazing experience, these places. I was able to to visit some of our churches, um, almost got invited in to speak at one. I had had to go, uh, but just to be able to be there and experience things that I've heard about all my life, and so I have much to be thankful for at the Thanksgiving season. Um, grateful for your prayers and support and encouragement. Uh, got lots of interesting text messages and emails while I was gone, so thank you. Um, grateful for God's providence, if the Lord wills, right? And that, that verse just kept hammering at me all the time. Because people would say, how, how come you're so calm? How come this doesn't upset you? How, how come you're, you're handling this so well? well if the Lord wills, I'm, I'm, I'm just His servant. Here I am. Oh well. And uh, just realizing that truth in a very, very real way. Um, health. Thankful for good health. Um, I had to take four vaccines before I could go. A typhoid vaccine, yellow fever vaccine, a polio vaccine. There's a polio outbreak in Central Africa. What's the fourth one? Um, hepatitis. Um, none of those affected me. I was good to go. Got back. I, I never had... Everyone's asked me, did you eat the food? You know, did you ever get sick? No. Uh, now my friend Tom Hocking called me this morning about 6.30. He says, I have a favor to ask. I said, what's that? He says, well, I tested positive for COVID this morning. Can you come preach for me? (laughs) So health. I'm grateful for for the health that God gives and uh, grateful for the work of Water for Good, just being able to see it firsthand and uh, experience the reality of that. I was grateful to be able to experience, again, what I've heard about all my life. We've had missionaries in Central Africa since the early 20s, 1920s, 100 years. We've had missionaries in Central Africa, pioneer missionaries, James and Florence Gribble went in in 2021, I think. Um, Some of our missionaries are buried there. Uh, It was just amazing to be in those places. Uh, We spent a little bit of time in Carnot, which is a key Key place in the early days of our missionaries there. Uh, There was a time when we had several dozen uh, Western missionaries from the U.S. and Europe active in Central Africa. Today, there are no longer any Western missionaries in Central Africa. Not a single, well, Grace Brother from our fellowship of churches. It's all being run, directed, and led by Central Africans. 3,500 churches. About 800,000 people. Uh, What God has done in 100 years in Central Africa uh, is just amazing to me. And so I'm thankful also this morning for the truth that you and I experience and appreciate and value. Uh, I might need your help here, David. There we go. Um, Went too far (laughs) I don't know if you've ever spent an extended period of time thinking about the simple verse, John 3.16. But the same message of that verse that has touched and impact, impacted our lives in this country has touched and impacted the lives of hundreds of thousands of Central Africans. And so I found myself without computer and Pen and paper, like being back in the 1970s again, it was actually kind of fun. Sitting for hours on airplanes and uh, sitting for hours in Paris, and found myself reflecting and, and meditating on John three sixteen. And I want to share with you the the impact of, of this verse, the impact it's had in this country, the impact it's had in your life and in my life, the impact it's had in, in Central Africa. Um, Read with me. The New American Standard translation, which I love to read and preach from, is the one on top. Can you all see that? Letters too small for people in the back. Will you read out loud with me? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. The contemporary English version expresses it this way. Read with me. God loved the people of this world so much that he gave his only son, so that everyone who has faith in him will have eternal life and never really die. And then the Amplified Translation. Some of you may not be familiar with this, but it's kind of fun sometimes. Read with me. For God so greatly loved and dearly prized the world that he even gave up his only begotten unique son, So that whoever believes in him, trusts in, clings to, relies on him, shall not perish, come to destruction, be lost, but have eternal, everlasting life. And so there's four lines of text. And each of these lines becomes very significant as you read and reflect and meditate on what it says. I found myself thinking of John 3.16 as kind of an invitation. And God invites me first (laughs) to remember the extent of His love. For God so loved the world. How extensive is God's love? It says, God so, so loved. What does that word so suggest? It's big. It's great. It's huge. But it says, God so loved the world. And as one of those translations said, the people of the world is the focus, right? God loves people. Regardless of age, regardless of gender, regardless of race, uh, God loves people. And I took a step back and found myself thinking, so who is it that loves the people of this world? The Creator, the self-sufficient, eternal God. He doesn't need me, He doesn't need you, but He loves us. He loves me. And often as I when I'm meditating on scripture often I like to personalize it with my name. For God so loved Roy. God's love is extensive. <laughs> Maybe you've seen the picture of Jesus on the cross arms extended that says, you know, how much does God love you? He loves you this much. And so I'm grateful that the love of God has extended beyond these shores into Central Africa. And the people that I met serving Jesus, uh, loving their country, wanting to see people come to know the Lord, uh, was just impressive. And so Jesus is inviting us this morning, remember the extent of your Heavenly Father's love for you, for a lost world. And then secondly, the the second line has that simple thought, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. And so it it draws me to the thought of of recognizing or realizing the excellence of God's gift. Do you remember the, the motto that the Hallmark Card Company used to use all the time? When you care enough to what? send the very best. And that's what God did. He gave. God's a giver. Aren't you glad for that? God not only is a lover, and He loves me, and He loves you, but He's a giver. And it says He gave His only begotten Son. An excellent gift. And I found myself thinking about gifts I've received in the course of my life. Um, did I receive? Did, have I ever received any really excellent gifts? You know, um, I've received some wonderful gifts. Um, I received. I have received uh, gifts of cash, which is always good, right? Um, I received a gift of a partial college scholarship. That was a wonderful uh, happening. But God gave the very best. Excellent gift. Why did he do that? Why did he do that? He loves this. There you go, Steve. God so loved the world that the result of God's great love is he gave his only begotten son. And so God's invitation to me as I read that verse is, is is remember the extent of God's love. Realize the excellence of God's gift. Then that third line says, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that what? Whoever believes in Him. And so there's a, there's a, a, a need for me to... the invitation there is responding to God's love, responding to God's uh, gift but pretty critical is responding with essential faith he invites us to put our faith and our trust in his son Jesus scripture says without faith it's impossible to do what please God And God invites us to come and to place our our faith and our trust in His Son. Lots of people like Jesus. I don't know if you've noticed that or not. Lots of people like Jesus. Some people I've had conversations with would even say they love Jesus. And all that's good, right? But God calls us beyond liking Jesus and loving Jesus. God calls us to do what? Put our faith and our trust in Him. It's essential that I have faith. Forsaking all I trust Him. F-A-I-T-H, right? It's essential that I have faith and trust in Jesus. It's good that I like Him. It's good that I love Him. But God calls me to to trust Him. I've shared the story many times because I find so often people are willing to acknowledge the truth of facts about Jesus. But it's not enough to embrace facts about Jesus, right? It's not enough to embrace the fact that He lived or that he died, or even perhaps that he rose again from the dead to believe those facts. God calls us to put our trust in the person of Jesus. And so oftentimes I find myself in conversation with people, uh, sharing the story of Blondin, a famous tightrope walker back in the late 1800s, who uh, was famous for his tightrope uh, act. And he would gather crowds and perform and with the expectation, of course, of getting a little money. Uh, He was famous, uh, very famous, for performing uh, a tight wire act over Niagara Falls. And as the story goes, um, he would push a construction wheelbarrow across that that tight wire. And uh, then he would put a 200-pound pig in the wheelbarrow, and he'd push that across the tight wire... And as he accomplished that task, he would ask the audience, how many of you people here believe that I, the great Blondin, could take this wheelbarrow with a 200-pound man inside and push it across this wire? And people would respond, you can do it, Blondin, you're the best, you're the greatest. And then Blondin would ask this question, which of you will be my first volunteer? (laughs) Yeah, silence, exactly. To which Blondin respond, You people believe me, but you don't trust me. And there's a big difference between believing, trusting. Big difference. And so Jesus invites us, if you will, to get in his wheelbarrow. To put our trust and our faith in him and his death on the cross, his payment for sin. For God so loved the world... I need to remember the extent of God's love. He gave His only begotten Son. I need, to, I need to, to, to recognize the excellence of His gift. That whosoever believes, I need to respond with essential faith. And then, don't you love the last line? Shall not perish, but have everlasting life. I, I need to, to receive that, that gift, that eternal life. By the way, eternal life, so many people think of eternal life. When we sang that last awesome song about heaven, that's one component of eternal life is life forever, right? But Jesus also promised abundant life now. So eternal life is not simply a quantity of life, it's a quality of life. That you and I are living out every single day the reality of being a child of God and experiencing eternal life in the quality of life that we live what Jesus called an abundant life and so I found myself reflecting on these thoughts as I was in Africa preparing to go to Africa realizing the the impact of the gospel in Central Africa it's one of the most highly evangelized countries in all of Africa Um, definitely one of the most in Sub-Sahara Africa And it's been the impact of the gospel message that God so loves the world that He gave His only begotten Son. That whoever believes in Him might not perish, but have everlasting life. And so as I think about the Thanksgiving season, I think about things that I'm thankful for, think about things that I'm thankful for that I experienced on my trip. Um, The reminder of John 3.16 is the most important thing to be grateful for in this life is that I've experienced God's love. I've responded to His love gift. That's the most important thing to be grateful for, right? And so, are you grateful this morning for God's love gift? And if you were a half an hour ago asked to list the things you're grateful for, would that have been on the list? It ought to be on the top of the list, right? Right? I mean, I'm grateful for the measure of health that God gives me. I'm grateful for the family I have. I'm grateful to be a part of this great family. But it's way down the list after being grateful for Jesus' death on the cross and God's love. So I don't know if you're in the habit of making lists this time of year of what you're grateful for, but I I recommend that be at the top of your list this morning. I'm grateful. Because if God did not so love me, if God had not given His only begotten Son, and had I not put my trust in Him, I would be on the road to destruction rather than on the road to heaven that we just sung about, right? So I'm grateful for those things and encourage you along those lines as well. We want to prepare our hearts at this time to share communion together and probably this to be a good time for the ushers to come and distribute the, uh, the little cups with the bread and the, the, the wine and the juice in them so I'll invite them to come and do that and uh, pass those out to us communion ought to be in, in our minds a time of worship it's not a time of observing a ritual It's not a time of sharing something that is unique or special. Um, So you'll want to get one of these, and we've put it in a a plastic bag so that when you are finished, you can return it to the plastic bag and... It's always fascinated me that when Jesus shared his last supper with his disciples there in the upper room, that he took common elements from the table. He didn't bring in silver trays with specially prepared things. He took elements right off of the table. And the table that they were gathered around was a, a time of remembrance, a time of reflection. A time of celebration. What was it they were remembering? Passover. What's Passover all about? So if you know your Old Testament history, right Amy? What you just said, Passover. The the children of Israel were 400 years in slavery in Egypt. 400 years. And when God called Moses to come and take my people home, take them to the promised land. You remember the story of the ten plagues. You remember the story of that last Passover meal where the tenth plague was going to be the, the death of the oldest, the oldest son in each family in Egypt. And so God instructed Moses and through Moses the rest of the Hebrew nation to to sacrifice a lamb, put the blood on the doorposts and over the top of the door, and then they were to, to eat that lamb, the Passover lamb. And so as Jesus and his disciples are sharing this Last Supper, they're looking back. They're looking back and remembering. They're looking back and celebrating God's deliverance. They're looking back and remembering everything that God accomplished for them. That's why they're having that meal. They're celebrating that meal together. And Jesus takes off of the table, like I said, just normal, ordinary, common things that were a part of that meal. Unleavened bread and wine. There's nothing special about that bread. There was nothing special about that wine. But it represented for them rescue, salvation, deliverance from Egypt. And so when Jesus did that, he gave new meaning to those symbols. When he told them to, to take and eat, that the, the bread was a, a symbol of his body that was to be broken for them. And inside, if you've got to have manual dexterity here. There's a little piece of clear plastic on the top that you peel back. And under there you'll find the, the wafer, the bread. And so Jesus said about this bread that he removed from the table. Now he's looking forward. They're not looking. Jesus isn't looking to the past, to the exodus. He's not looking forward. Looking forward to the cross. And he talks to them about this bread, this this symbol of his body that's going to be broken for him. And so as you take the bread, as we take the bread together, pause and and give thanks. Before you do that, let me back up a step. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul gives an admonition to the Corinthian church that had all kinds of problems. A lot of egos in the mix. A lot of divisions and struggles in that church. And he instructed them about the fact that they, they weren't participating in communion the right way. And he talked to them about the fact that we shouldn't take communion in an unworthy manner. The issue isn't, are you worthy or not, because I'm not worthy and you're not either, right? The issue is the manner in which we take it. Do we give proper attention? Do we give proper priority? Do we give proper understanding? And even a part of that might be an opportunity, a time of uh, kind of personal reflection, Communion has always had for me the opportunity to to reflect. Um, to talk to the Lord a little bit, and I'm going to give you a moment to do that. But to talk to the Lord. So how, how, how are we doing, Lord? Are we together? Is there anything in my life that's displeasing to you? Is there anything in my life that I need to take another look at? I need to change? I need to confess? I think there's a validity before we take communion to just taking a moment and allowing the opportunity to reflect and remember and have have a conversation with the Lord kind of like that. Will you do that? Let's just quietly take that moment. then as you take the bread, and as you eat it together, reflect on what you know about Jesus' time on the cross. Nails through his hands and feet, spear through his side. Even before that, his body beaten almost beyond recognition. Take the bread and reflect for a moment on what it cost Jesus to go to the cross for you. And then you want to carefully open that next little tab that's a little thicker, a little heavier, to get to the juice. Jesus told his disciples that night of the Last Supper that uh, the cup of wine that they were drinking represented the new covenant that's in his blood. uh, The new promise that God made. The promise of a coming Messiah, a coming deliverer, who would, who would deliver. He's done that, hasn't he? He's done that. The Scriptures talks often about blood. The whole Old Testament sacrificial system all depended on the sacrifice of animals that shed their blood, and and whether it was a, a, a pigeon or a lamb, whatever it was, based on your economic abilities. Um, that was always the principle. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. We come to the New Testament, and especially in the book of Hebrews, it, it talks about the blood a lot. And uh, when I think of the, the book of Hebrews, um, the, the thought that always occurs to me is that Jesus is better. Jesus is better. He's better than Moses. He's better than the Old Testament priesthood. He's better than the sacrificial system. This is the message of Hebrews. Jesus is better. Jesus is better. And so that it says there that the, the blood of bulls and goats was, was not sufficient. wasn't sufficient. Peter talks about the fact that you, you weren't redeemed with things like silver and gold. You were redeemed with the precious blood of Jesus. And so things that we value, that we think of as being precious, silver and gold and those kinds of things, um, Peter says, can't compare to the precious blood of Jesus. And so as you take the, the cup together, uh, pause and reflect on Jesus' death, forgiveness he offers, and truly the the significance of John 3:16. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him would not perish, but have everlasting life. I fear too often that we're a lot like the little girl who was reciting John 3:16 for her Sunday school class, and she very proudly said, that, "For God so loved the world that He gave His only forgotten Son." Too easily we forget, and that's part of the reason why we share a morning like this, because we need to remember, so let's remember together. Lord Jesus, we are grateful this morning for Your invitation. Your invitation for us to remember the extent of our Heavenly Father's love. For us to to recognize afresh the excellence of the gift that He's given. And that we would respond with uh, essential faith and trust. And Lord, I pray this morning that if there's anyone here who has never come to know Jesus in a very real and very personal way, they've never come to Jesus seeking forgiveness for sin, that you would draw that one to yourself this morning, that your Holy Spirit would speak into that heart and draw that one to know the Savior. So we're grateful for those reminders. We're grateful for the invitation to receive eternal life and so as we share the bread and and this cup together we we celebrate with gratitude with thankfulness that you've loved us with an everlasting love that nothing can separate us from the love of God height depth things created things present things to come principalities powers there's nothing that can separate us from your love And so we celebrate together this morning your great love. Help us to not forget. Help us to remember. And we ask all these things in the name of King Jesus, our Savior. Amen.